Hello, Potters, and welcome back to another episode of me reading Children of Eden. And today, I do believe I'm reading chapters 21 and 22. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> my uploading thing got a little bit whack because I was supposed to post on Sunday. I was supposed to upload on Sunday, and I did record on Sunday, but then me being the idiot I am, um, I went off and did other things and then forgot about it. So today, you guys, I'm I'm feeding you today and um, I'm putting up two episodes in the same day. So be grateful, be happy, <laughs> be happy. Cause I could have just uploaded the one from Sunday today and then moved it, but you know, I wanna make, I wanna make sure the schedule is for the most part like, I'm actually sticking by it, um, so, um, yeah, I had something in mind that I was gonna say, and I completely forgot what it was, um, oh yeah, completely off topic, but my mom got a new van, and I don't know, there is just something about the way a new car smells that is just heavenly, it is godlike, I swear. I, she brought it home yesterday and I got in it because obviously I wanted to see what it was like. Because this was the first time we'd gotten a car, or like a new car, in a while. And this car had only been made like two years ago, so this is like the newest car we've ever gotten. And so I get in it and <laughs> literally the first thing I say is, oh my gosh, it smells so good. So, I don't know. There's a lot of weird scents that's just like... I don't know. You don't know why they smell good, but they do. Like, grass. Or, like, this one makes a little more sense than grass, but, like, the bread aisle of grocery stores? Oh, my God. Literally, we won't even be looking at bread, and I'll be like, Hey, Mom, can we go down the bread aisle solely so I can smell it? It's very nice. You know, I do I do love the smell of bread. And Home Depot. I don't, I don't know what it is about Home Depot, but when I walk in there, I'm, I'm not even, like, interested in Home Depot. My watch always goes off. Um, but, like, I'm not even interested in Home Depot. Like, the most interesting part about that store is the light section, because I'm not a straight dude who likes working on things. Um, but anyway, but the smell of Home Depot is just so pleasant. Anyway, <laughs> we're gonna actually get to the point of the podcast. Believe it or not, today's episode is not about random scents that I like. Um, it's me reading, as usual. Um, we're really far, you know, we're... Honestly, we're on the home stretch. Um, so, yeah, soon we'll be on to the next book. And I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but this series is a trilogy. So, meaning, of course, that there are three books. Um, that's what the prefix try means. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we've got, we're pretty close to finishing this book. Not pretty close. We've got a significant chunk, but not too much. Um, and then two other books. Um, and then I can read other books if you want. I mean, I have a lot. I don't have that many books, but I have a pretty significant amount, so. 
if that sounds interesting, I could always do another. But for now, we're sticking with this. Um, and I'm going to do a quick little recap of chapters 19 and 20. Hold on, I have to find where chapter 19 is because whenever I do my little recaps, I skim through just to make sure I don't miss out on anything. Um, so first, um, right at the beginning of this chapter, it takes place right after, um, Rowan and Latchlan kiss and then they fall asleep together. And so right at the beginning of this chapter, um, Rowan and Latchlan wake up in the same room and Flint knocks on the door and he's like, we can't find Rowan. And then this part was funny. I'm not going to lie. Um, and then Latchland literally just, like, slowly opens the door and, like, shows Rowan sitting on his bed. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's nice with books like these when you actually get a funny, like, lighthearted scene every once in a while. You know, like, just darker books like this in general, you don't see a lot of those. So it's really refreshing when you get a nice little laid-back calm scene every once in a while because I mean it took a little while for it to get like all exciting for this book but like from the very beginning you know it's kind of been like it's kind of left you like on the edge of your seat so it's nice to get a little funny moment um and then Flint tells um Latchland and Rowan that he needs Rowan um, and he says that they've captured an intruder um, in the tunnels in the underground. And so Flint leads Rowan and Latchland to back to the like um, interrogation torture chamber thing that Rowan got interrogated in. Um, and then Rowan realizes that it's Lark. Lark is the intruder caught down there. Um, so Lark is back. We didn't. We haven't seen Lark in a while, but. Now she's back and she's in the underground. And they're like, um, they're interrogating her because they don't know why she's there. They don't even know who she is. Um, and so, um, well, obviously Rowan is upset about Flint and, like, other members of the underground interrogating her in the same way that they interrogated Rowan and so she um tells Flint to untie Lark and then they can talk um and so Lark tells her that she's been looking for Rowan and she had all of her contacts from the edge searching um and this is our first time hearing about the edge and basically what the edge is is it's like as Lark describes it, it's the opposite of the center. And they want to bring people together, um, people from all of the circles, all of, all incomes, all educations and stuff. And so they're like this group um, that just is trying to raise money, help the poor, um, hide rebels. And um, she says, we help second children. And so she tells them that Ever since she met Rowan, she's had members of the Edge keeping an eye on her um, while she's, like, out walking around going about her business. Um, and, of course, this is not good because, um, A, Rowan t 
told Lark not to tell anybody, you know, and she- she trusted Lark to, like, keep this information a secret in the first place because it is, like, de- it's detrimental to Rowan's existence that nobody else knows that she exists, you know, and, like, I mean, obviously a lot of people know that she exists now in the underground, but nobody above ground is supposed to know that she exists besides her family. But then Lark goes and tells the Edge about her. And, like, I mean, it's very likely that somebody in the Edge could be a traitor, you know, they might turn Rowan in, you know. It's too dangerous for her to be telling other people. Um... And it's just, like, and I think it's safe to assume that because Lark told her members of the Edge that Rowan was discovered and then her mom dies um, and the center's hunting her because, (laughs) I'm just, I'm just gonna be straight up, because Lark couldn't keep her mouth shut anyway, um... And so Rowan is upset with Lark, but, you know, eventually she's like, well, she didn't mean to, like, turn me in and get my mom killed, um, and put my whole life in more jeopardy than it already was, so I guess I'll forgive her, um, and so then Rowan realizes that Flint wants to kill Lark because she knows too much. You know, she's already made enough mistakes, you know, she really cannot stay there. And so she gets ready to kill Lark. Um, And then, um, you know, Latchland, Latchland starts to stick up for Lark and is like, hey, you're gonna kill her, but we don't know, like, anything about her. We don't know, um, how she came here and, like, why she came here or anything. Um, so you're just gonna kill her without finding out this, like, vital information? And Flint and him argue back and forth a little bit because Flint is like, well, nobody can know. Um... But then Latchland eventually convinces him to, uh, let Lark live, at least for the time being. Um, and so we find out that Lark went up to, um, her algae spire, the abandoned algae spire, after finding out what happened to Rowan's mom. And then she looks down and she sees Rowan, and eventually she's able to follow and track her all the way back to the underground. Um... And so then we find out that um, the center has Ash um, and that the green shirts came and got him while Rowan was missing. And he's going to be executed in three days. And then the real, the real plot twist here is that the person who condemned him was actually Rowan's dad. Hold on, I'm getting a hair tie. I need to get my hair out of my face. But anyway, so basically Rowan's father is the one who turned in Ash. Which is like crazy, you know, because like 
it's pretty obvious that her dad's favorite child is Ash, so why would he turn him in? Like, that's weird. And that's chapter 19. Um, and then chapter 20. I'm gonna try to make this one quicker, because I've already spent 12 minutes recapping. But, um, um, Rowan demands for Flint to untie Lark, and then she tells them she wants them to help her get Ash back. And they refuse because they're both Latchland and Flint are like, it's way too dangerous, you know, we can't risk the entire underground because of one child. Um and he said there was nothing there's nothing we can do, you know, it's like it's just too risky. You can't even get inside the center. But then Lark says that she can get them in. And, uh... And Latchlan is like, no. We cannot go by this plan. You know, we would need somebody in the center. We'd need, like, IDs and everything. And Rowan thinks, and she's like, well, what about the next vice chancellor? Because her dad is the next vice chancellor. So he works in the center. Um, and so, sorry, I'm, I'm skimming a bit, um, trying to find important information that I can do, um, or say, not do, (laughs) important information that I can say. And so Rowan and Flint go back and forth because Flint is... Oh, yeah. Okay, so, Rowan is like, hey, if you're not gonna help me find and save my brother, then I'm not gonna give you the contact lenses that I told you I'd give up to Lashlin. And so, her and Flint go back and forth, because Flint is like, well, eventually I'll beat the information out of you, and we can just go get the lenses ourselves. But Rowan is like, hey, you tried that on me before, and I didn't break, so what makes you think I'm going to break now? Um... And so, then, um, Latchlin tells, um, Rowan that Flint agreed, with certain conditions, um, that Lark will be drugged before they leave, so she probably won't remember much of, like, the last 24 hours, um, and Latchlin also says that Lark will never make any attempt to find the underground or contact Rowan ever again. And so, finally, um, they agree, you know, they're going to go by this plan and, um, Latchlin is like, I'm gonna need more people to help me, you know, I need to have multiple people in order to, like, successfully get into the center. And Rowan said, you don't need people to just help you, us. And she says she's gonna go too. And that's where it ends. So, sorry I took a little while to recap. These chapters have more and more happening in each, like, in each just section. They get more and more interesting and have more and more information I need to cover. So, sorry about that.
takes a little bit longer now than it used to. But anyway, let's go to chapter 21. So many things, so fast. I stultified for 16 years, and now a lifetime of danger and grief and wonder and emotion are all compressed within a few days. We set out shortly afterward by a different passageway than the one I'd entered through. We enter a labyrinth of winding, confusing tunnels that double back on themselves. Once we come to what looks like a dead end, the latchland shifts a rock and a low stone door slides open on silent, pneumatic hinges. We crawl for a while, but then come to a place we can stand again. I'm utterly lost. The latchland knows the way unerringly. I'm supposed to be snug in my bed while Latchland takes the risk for me. I can't quite believe that Flint hoped, or nearly hoped, Latchland would fail. Latchland, though, seems perfectly confident as he sneaks me out of the underground by a series of twisting, gradually rising passages. Excited. Bouncy, even. You just don't know what this means to us, he must say a dozen times as we make our way to the surface. Having real lenses will change everything. I want to know how, exactly, but whenever I ask, he's vague, or changes the subject. I know he wants to infiltrate the highest levels as an elite student, but what else? What next? I feel a swell of resentment. I've trusted him so many times. With Lark's life, with the secret of my lenses, I understand the danger of confiding in someone. Look what happened when Lark told people she trusted about me. But when I'm the one shut out of secrets, it hurts. The next to last circle, I tell him definitively as we step out into the blackness. Eden doesn't respond to him any more than it does to me, and the ground at our feet stays dark. He looks at me, apparently amused. So you remember now? I don't know whether to pretend anymore or not, so I only look at him sidelong. It's all coming back to me. Slowly. He laughs, a low chuckle that warms me. As long as you're on my side, I don't mind if you take your time telling the truth. Believe me, I get it. It's strange how walking around Eden feels almost natural now. True, we sneak and skulk in the shadows, avoiding the few souls abroad tonight. But to be out, to move, to be part of the city now feels normal. The danger exists. But that feels normal too, somehow. My body feels alive, eager, tingling with excitement. I feel ready. We emerge only one circle away from our destination, and it isn't long before we cross the radius and head right toward the east side. There's a modification parlor somewhere around here. Serpentine, it's called. Mom's words are burned clearly on my memory. I know that place, Latchland says. It's very popular with the bestial crowd. But I had no idea there were shady dealings going on there. It's not in a great neighborhood, but the place has an air of respectability. Now, if you'd just told me it was the Serpentine in the first place, you could be back in your nice, safe bed dreaming of, a, dreaming of a better world. Dreaming gets you nowhere, I tell him as we walk. I want to make a better world, even if there's not much for me to do. You're giving up your lenses. He stops in the middle of the dark street and turns to me. The look on his face is one of respect, and maybe, I think, a little bit of awe. You're giving up your chance to be part of a world you must have longed to join all your life. You could walk away from the underground, from me, from all of us, and take your chances up here in Eden. With your new eyes and maybe even the family your mom set you up with. I look at him skeptically. I got the impression Flint wouldn't have given me a choice. 
A hard look flashes across his face, but then he cracks a smile. He makes light of things whenever he can. I think you've gathered by now that Flint and I have slightly different approaches. Your lenses may very well save the underground and change Eden forever. But I believe in free will and self-determination. Those things are at the core of what we're fighting for. If you had decided that you didn't want to give up your lenses, I wouldn't have forced you. That hard look casts another quick shadow across his face. And if Flint had tried, I would have stopped him. I wonder what this con when this conflict between Latchland and the leader of the underground will break into all-out war, and what it might mean for the secret world of second children. But I can't worry about that now, or about the dozens of other things plaguing my mind right now. We've come to Serpentine. It is, as Mom described it, a glaringly orange building. Unlike most other structures in this overall squalid next-to-outermost ring, Serpentine is gently illuminated, a golden glow holding back the dark. In there I would have become normal. In there I would have found a real life. But one away from my family, my first friend. A life, sure, but it would really just be a different kind of lie. Another kind of hiding. No, I decide, firmly and absolutely. I don't want the lenses. I don't want to be a part of a society that doesn't want me. Since there's no scenario in my future that doesn't have me hunted, I'd rather just commit wholeheartedly to being what I am. A second child, among other second children. A sense of relief washes over me. I'd been perfectly willing to give up my lenses to Latchland and his cause, but that had been a rational decision. Now it was an emotional gut choice, too. I realize I'm so much happier at the prospect of just being me, with my vivid second child eyes, not something altered and corrupted by the center, changing just to fit in some place I only now realize I don't really want to be. The electrified fencer on the modification center gives off a low, menacing hum. Latchland cocks his head up at it. I wish you told me about the electricity ahead of time. It's going to take me a while to disable it, and I don't want to be outside here any longer than necessary. I can get us in, I tell him and repeat Mom's instructions. They turn off the electricity to the third panel from the left on the southeast side. I have a moment of doubt. Southwest? He gives me a wry look. You do know the voltage level is very likely fatal, don't you? Southeast. I'm sure of it. Fairly sure. It's off between three and four in the morning. He checks his watch and nods. I guess this place has dealings with a few people on the wrong side of the law. Nice of them to give their friends back door inside. He leads me around the back of the building, and we count three chain-link superconductive panels from the left. I lean close to try to listen for the telltale buzz of a charge, but the whole thing is humming and I can't tell if this panel is deactivated. I look around for some debris to test it with. Maybe if we throw something at the fence we'd see a spark? I'm not really sure how this works. Can we... I begin uncertainly, but in what I'm beginning to realize is a characteristically Latchland approach, he hurls himself at the fence. And doesn't sizzle to death. He grins over his shoulder at me. Coming? I can't help laughing. And then? I can't help racing him to the top. Despite his head start, my hand clasps the top before his. I feel strong, capable. We drop down on the far side and make our way to the back door. As Mom told me, I knock twice up on the high corner of the door, pause for a breath, and knock three times near the bottom. There's a long, tense wait, and finally we hear footsteps approaching from within. I don't know what I was expecting, 
A middle-aged scientist, a business-like doctor in a white coat, were greeted by a young woman with red, pa- or red hair pulled severely back from her face, her eyes heavily lined in black in an otherwise bone-pale face. Her paleness is further set off by her all-white clothes. She's not wearing the traditional doctor's coat I'm used to seeing my dad in, but rather an edgy ensemble of strange angles, as accented with sleek steel fastenings. <clears throat> Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Against all that stark whiteness, her slicked black hair is like a lava flow. Her eyes like burning coils. Or, I mean coals. <laughs> I don't know why I said coils. She stares. No, glares at me for a moment. Then her eyes widen slightly. Bick! Where the hell have you been? She hisses. And who the hell are you? She turns those smoldering eyes on Latchland. I'm... He begins, but she obviously has no patience for an answer. She grabs us each by an arm and jerks us inside. I don't want to know who you are. And Rowan, I know quite well. At least from your mother, and from physical schematics of you. I'm Flame. The name suits her perfectly. Why didn't you show up yesterday? She demands. In a steady of voice I can manage... In as steady of voice as I can manage, I tell her about the roadblock. Mom's murder. She said someone was on to you, the cyber surgeon muses. Bick! She swears again, stalking away from us. We drift in her wake. I should have destroyed the lenses the second there was even a hint of trouble. You didn't, though, did you? Latchline asks, and, F- and Flame looks at him sharply. What does it matter to you? Never mind, she turns to me. Are you ready? The procedure will take about an hour, but we'll have to monitor you for a while afterward. Then follow-up visits will be... Then follow-up visits for twelve weeks. It will be six months at least before the lenses fully bond to your neurons, and you'll need a final check after that. Until then, if they're removed or damaged, you'll have to start from scratch. After that, they'll be a permanent part of your body. But don't do anything to screw this up, because this is the only pair I've successfully made, and frankly, after I implant them, I'm out of this business. I don't need the trouble. The money, yes, but not the risk of death. I try to get a word in edgewise through the whole monologue, but I don't have a hope until she runs out of steam. Then I finally blurt out, I'm not taking the lenses. I want Latch, my friend, to have them. I realized just in time that I probably shouldn't have given his name. She doesn't even stop walking. Nope, not gonna happen. I trot to catch up. But I don't want them. And he needs them. She dramatically pantomimes, blocking her ears. I don't want to hear it. I get paid enough to move Serpentine three rings in, and that's the only social issue that matters to me. You go fight the center, or turn yourself into a turtle, or feed the hungry, or uplift the poor. It's all the same to me. Just don't tell me. You don't need to know why, I try again. Just give them to him, not me. Kid, don't you understand? These are your lenses. Yours. No one else's. I know my mom paid, but this isn't about money. She gives a mirthless chuckle. First and last time those words will ever pass my lips. Do you realize that no one outside the center has even successfully made lenses that will bond the individual? That will feed into the ecopan like these do? This is my masterpiece. Me, with all my training and degrees, who spends her life implanting horns and scales onto bestials, finally came up with something brilliant. These are not just any lenses. Your mom gave me scans of your eyes, your brain, a personality assessment, basal temperature readings, metabolic data. 
These are custom made for you. They won't work in anyone else. I'm stunned. I don't know what to think. At one point, I was desperate for a normal life, but when that became impossible, I decided I absolutely didn't want the lenses. I want to stay me. My eyes, my identity, even if I have to hide it all my life. Even if I have to die for it. I'm about to say, forget it, destroy them, we're leaving. When Latchland grips my shoulder. I don't think he means to, but he's clutching me so hard it hurts. You have to get the lenses, he says between clenched teeth. You have to take my place. I start to shake my head. No, I begin, but he pulls me out of the room, muttering, Excuse us, while the cybersurgeon shrugs and makes a gesture of aggravated dismissal. This is our only chance, he hisses at me the second we're alone. He's pulled me so close. I suddenly feel uncomfortably warm. There's a very narrow window, and the way I've set it up, a very narrow age range. Someone our age has to infiltrate the school, the inner circle families, or this entire operation is shot to hell. I... I'm not like you. I hardly even know what's going on. You're more like me than you realize. I know you have a sense of justice. I know you want fair treatment for second children, and all children of Eden. But I can't! You're... I'm what? What can I do that you can't do, or learn? I'm nothing special. A kid who was kicked around, kept to down until he decided to fight. You're a fighter, Rowan. He rubs his cheek where I punched him. But that was different. I shake my head. I'm just... me. Never think that just you isn't enough, Rowan. Listen to me. Everything is riding on this. I've prepared for this, trained for this, thought about nothing else for the past year. But I haven't. I don't even know what to do. I don't want... I was going to say I don't want to, but he cuts me off and probably thinks I'm going to say something noble, like, I don't want to let you down. But that's not it. I was just getting used to the, to the idea of peace underground, of companions, safety, a new family. I'll help you. I'll be with you all the way. Or as close as I can get. I'll be your handler. As if to illustrate, he links his fingers through mine. I feel a strange mix of, of elation and trepidation. My handler? As if I'm a puppet with him pulling the strings. It will be easy. All you have to do at first is go to school, make friends, act normal. A laugh bursts out of me, uncontrollable. <laughs> That's easy? Until a few days ago, I knew three people, of only which two liked me. Make friends? Act normal? If you put me in, your mission will fail in the first five minutes. He smiles gently and squeezes my fingers in his. You're more charming than you imagine, he says softly. I believe in you, Rowan. Believe in yourself and you can do it. I wouldn't ask you if I didn't think you could. The mission is too important to trust to somebody incompetent. He strokes one of my knuckles with his thumb. And your life is too important to risk if I didn't think you'd succeed. Why? I ask. I'm not fishing for compliments, not asking out of vanity. I really want to know why he values my life so much. He flushes, actually turns pink. His eyes drop to my fingers, our fingers. Hold on. I know it's getting good, but I need to let my cat outside. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. 
I'll just pick one reason, he says, lifting his gaze to mine again, but not releasing my hands. The small room feels warmer than ever. The way you fight for people you care about. For Lark when she was in danger. For your brother. You forget yourself and think only of the person you love. That makes you extraordinary. He sighs, and there's a tremor in that sigh so deeply sad. I only wish once in my life someone had fought for me like that. I only have one question for him. If I say no, will you still help me rescue Ash? Yes, he answers without hesitation. And because he says yes, I say yes. <laughs> My mom just yelled. You probably heard that. Anyway, within minutes, I'm in a brightly lit room, being prepped for surgery. A few, min a few breaths later, I slip into blackness. Hold on, I'm gonna take a little quick water break. Okay, and now, chapter 22. Chapter 22. And awake to gunfire. Only, I'm not really awake. I can't be. Because even though my eyes are open, I'm still seeing dreamlike images. My eyeballs tingle. Not just sensation, but movement. A rapid vibration that's maddening. I see... I don't know. People in a chrome room sickly with a green glow that seems to emanate from above. Small animals, hairless and pink, helpless in cages. Wires protruding, protruding from tubs of bubbling gel. The images dance incoherently but I can't tell if I'm seeing them with my eyes or my imagination. They're shouting too, and another bang. Another gunshot? Real or imagined? No, it's the sound of my own body crashing to the floor, jarring every bone. Except my skull. A hand holds my head, saving it from the hard ground. I sense a warm pressure on me and, and feel unaccountably safe. Finally, my vision comes into focus, and I see Latchland. He's pressed against me, holding me down on the floor. I smile. I don't know which parts are real, but this feels right. We have to get you out of here, Latchland says. Did you hurt yourself when you fell? The hand that's not cupping my head begins to feel along my body. I giggle when he brushes my ribs. The strange look he gives me when I do suddenly cues me into what's real, what's not. Gunfire. I had my lens implant surgery. We're under attack. I look around wildly from my prone position. I'm practically under the operating table. Strange, sharp instruments are scattered on the floor around me. I try to get up, but Latchland holds me down. They're at the front. Two, maybe three green shirts. Luckily, your talented cybersurgeon is also a skilled hacker and seems to have modified a couple of security bots to do her bidding, and they're keeping the green shirts at bay. Can you stand? I was trying to, I say testily. After images of some strange room haunting me, stamped on the back of my eyelids. There's no sign of flame. There's a gun in his hand. I don't even know where he wore it. I didn't see a trace of it on his body. We have to get out of here. He's looking at me strangely, and my hand creeps to my eyes. I want to see them, but it isn't exactly an opportune, an opportune time to find a mirror. They're puffy and tender, but the world still looks the same as ever through them now. 
Those other images must have been a hangover from my anesthesia. The shots are coming from the- The shots are coming from the front, I mumble, trying to piece together the layout of serpentine from the small amount I've seen. Can we get out the back? Maybe. But the fence is electrified again. We're kept prisoner by the thing that's supposed to keep people out. Can you turn it off? There should be a control box somewhere, but- I follow the direction of his gaze. It's probably in the front, I conclude dismally. What are we going to do? You are going to stay here. I'm going to give those ally security bots a little help. But- He flashes me a wry look. You're really arguing with me at a time like this? I draw breath to protest again, but he places his finger on my lips. Hush. Stay. And because I'm afraid I'll just get in his way, and maybe afraid in general, too, I stay while he crouches, his gun held low and ready, and opens the door a crack. The shooting has stopped for now, and I can't hear any movement. Have the green shirts been defeated, or the security bots disabled? If the green shirts are down, I want to be glad. But then I picture Rook in his uniform, sprawled and bleeding. I don't want anyone else to die. Not even someone who wants to kill me. Lashland is looking through the crack, listening intently. His body is still intense, so much power held in check. He can only see a sliver of the next room, and I can tell he's using every sense to search for danger. After a long moment, though, I can see the tightness in his shoulders relax a bit. He turns to me with a reassuring smile. Looks clear, but stay down. I see his mistake in slow motion, though it takes place in a fraction of a second. He starts to push the door open just an instant before he turns his smiling face away from me, having lingered for a fatal moment. Is it my fault? Did I hold him with my gaze, releasing him too late? His guard is down, just for a moment. But it's the wrong moment. There's a shot, close and deafeningly loud, and he staggers back. I see a fine spray of blood fly through the air, but I can't see the wound itself. He stumbles over a low stool and goes down, but he has the presence of mind to kick at the door as he falls. For a second, I hope. Then a black boot jams itself against the frame and the door bounces open again. The green shirt shoulders it open and points his much, much larger gun. A rifle at Latchland. I don't know if size, ma if size matters in these things, but suddenly Latchland's weapon looks like a toy. The green shirt doesn't see me, on the ground concealed by the operating table. Not yet. Get up! He barks at Latchlan. Latchlan moans and rolls to his injured side. The green shirt kicks him, and it's all I can do not to cry out as Latchlan flinches and curls into a ball. I can't tell how much blood there is, how badly he's hurt. Is it worse than I thought? I think he was hit in the arm. Bad enough. But had it gone through his chest and exited his arm? Why isn't he fighting? He's just lying there now, not moving at all. I have to clamp my hand over my mouth to keep quiet. The green shirt screams at Latchland to get up, then, with sneering mouth and, and a growl of disgust, slings his rifle over his shoulder, takes a pair of handcuffs from his belt, and kneels beside the apparently unconscious Latchland. Do something, Latchland, I silently beg, but he doesn't move. The green shirt clamps one handcuff on with a click that echoes in the room. Instantly, Latchland comes alive. Using his handcuffed arm, his uninjured one, 
to pull the green shirt on top of him. The green shirt, surprised, doesn't let go of the cuffs in time and sprawls. Latchland lets out a groan as his wounded arm grinds into the ground. But he never stops fighting for an instant. He jerks the handcuffs out of the green shirt's grasp, flips the dangling end up so that it covers his knuckles, and punches the green shirt in the side of the head once, twice. But the green shirt shifts his weight and pins Latchland's arm. Oh, great earth, there's so much blood. They're slipping in it as they struggle, their boots trying to get a grip on the slick floor as they grapple for position. Latchland rolls the green shirt, and for a moment he's on top. Then the green shirt reaches up and tears at Latchland's bullet wound with clawed fingers. Latchland's face drains white, and I think he's going to pass out as the green shirt flips him, punches him in the face, and finally remembers his rifle. He's straddling Latchland, a knee on either side keeping him pinned down. The green shirt takes his time now. He's that confident he won. Easily, as if there's nothing at all urgent about the situation, he unslings his rifle and points it at Latchland's face. Second child, huh? The green shirt uses the rifle muzzle to turn Latchland's face so he can examine the eyes. The length of the weapon makes for an awkward angle, and the green shirt has to lean back to give himself room to maneuver the weapon. Do you know what they're going to do to you at the center? He laughs, an ugly sound. I'd be doing you a favor to shoot you now. He presses the barrel to Latchland's forehead, and I squeeze my eyes shut. Latchland, please do something. Then my eyes fly open. Why am I waiting for Latchland to act? The green shirt doesn't know I'm here. And right beside me, scattered when Latchland hauled me to the ground as bullets started flying, is a scalpel. The blade is small, but deadly sharp. The green shirt is talking, loudly, gloating about the horrors that await Latchland. What he's saying turns my stomach, but strengthens my resolution. Silently, I slide my feet under me, picking up the scalpel. It feels so slender in my grasp, too delicate for violence, but sharp enough for the threat of violence. The green shirt, so intent on his taunts, doesn't hear me as I creep up behind him and lay the edge of the scalpel against the side of his throat. I have my threat already. Drop your weapon, stand up slowly, or I'll open your veins. We'll tie him up. We'll escape. But the second my blade touches his throat, Latchline bucks upward, and the scalpel slides in without resistance, as if the green shirt's skin is the finest silk. I pull away, throw myself backward, but it's too late. A gush of blood sprays- is somebody outside? I really, really hate that. I really hate that when people are outside. Anyway, I'm gonna keep going. I pull away, throw myself backward, but it's too late. A gush of blood sprays from his throat, pulsing in time to his heartbeat. As Lashland grips the rifle and wrestles it away, the green shirt turns to me with a look of surprise that breaks my heart. His eyes are big. He looks like he's about to say something. Then he slumps, almost gracefully. The blood pulses more slowly now from his slashed throat, pooling in a crimson lake around his body. Once more and then both the green shirt and his flowing blood are still. Latchland twists out from under him and stands unsteadily. I can't take my eyes off the dead green shirt. I did that. I ended a life. There isn't even blood on my hands. Latchland is tugging on my arm. Come on, we have to go. 
I can't move. We need to get out of here. Get you someplace safe. He drapes one of my arms over his shoulder and hauls me bodily toward the door. It should be the other, the other way around. I should be supporting him. My legs don't seem to be working right. My feet drag. I can't, I begin. But I know I have to. The world begins to blur, the edges dissolving. Images like the ones I saw when I first regained consciousness threaten to barge into my sight or my mind. Figures in white coats. A monitor tracking someone's pulse and other vital signs. And wonderfully, in a vision I don't want to fight, a forest so real I can smell the damp earth. But I push it all back, and I see flame in the doorway, beckoning. Latchlin trains the rifle, liberated from the green shirt on her, but she ignores it. Thanks a whole bicking lot, she snaps. There I was, all set to upgrade Serpentine and relocate to a posh ring, and now this. She squints at me, at my eyes. You shouldn't be standing. Not much choice, Latchlin says between clenched teeth. Where were you? Had to do an emergency override of my security bot's safety protocols. Thought a little judicious, judicious leth, lethality, lethality? I don't know. Might be called for here. My bots took care of the other. Of the other one. Big, big, big. She rubs her forehead and paces. Can I come up with any kind of story to cover this up? I can melt the bodies, of course. We get rid of lots of unwanted bio bits here. She keeps up a monologue as she strides, kinetic and intense, and I have the strangest feeling that despite all her cursing, this disaster is no more than a setback. She looks up, and there's the strangest little smile on her lips. Do you kids have a place to go? Latchland nods. And you? Think I've spent my life on the black market fringe without having a bolt hole or two? But she'll go on. I've got this covered. She frowns down at the dead green shirt. I think. And she shrugs and shakes her finger at Latchland. Other troubles apparently forgotten. I'm realizing she might be slightly insane. You get her someplace she can rest for at least a day. She needs to be lying down so the pressure doesn't build up behind her eyes. Don't want to go pop, do we? And her neural network will be confused for a while. After all, you're linked, more or less. Into the Yukopan now. I blink, my eyes burning. So many implications. I linked you with the identity your friend provided, instead of the one your mother had arranged. This boy has some connections. She sounds impressed. The identity your mother set up for you was compromised, I'm sure, since they were on to you. But this guy has the specs of another identity all set up. She gives him a significant look. Almost as if he's planned all this for a long, long time. Had to fiddle with the details. Gender, for example. But now Ecopan will officially recognize you as Yarrow. It will take a while to gel, so there will be glitches for a few months. Some bots might not be able to get a read on you. But just to be safe, don't go anywhere you don't want the Ecopan knowing about. I gasp. I can't go back to the underground? Where else can I go? I can't go home. I feel panic rising. I'm alone. Homeless. Adrift. Then, like the strange visions, but even clearer, I seem to see a flash of soft lilac beneath er, before my eyes. Lark, I say decisively. Lark will take me in. Da, 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 da. That's chapter 22. I hope y'all enjoyed. It was a lot.
It's very intense. Um, Rowan killed a person for the first time. Very pleasant. But anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today's two episodes that I'm uploading. Make sure you stay tuned for Thursday, which is when I'll be uploading my next episode. Um, I upload new episodes every other day. Um, and I'll see you guys then, so bye!